Lord, we come to you now. We thank you for uh, our time tonight. Um, Lord, as we, uh, the songs that we just sung are very, very appropriate. Um, as we consider uh, how your people moved during the times of the judges tonight, um, it is very true that we are prone to wonder and prone to leave the God we love. Um, so we do pray that you would tether our hearts as, as we see how you moved with your people um, throughout that time in, in our history and in, in our story uh, as a people. Lord, I pray that um, our hope in Christ would produce a right steadfastness and obedience in the word and uh, that it would be pleasing uh, to you um, as we study tonight. And I pray that you would guide my words um, I've trusted you in the preparation of this, and I pray that you would allow me to trust you in the delivery of it. Um, you are very, very good to us, and we're thankful for that. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we've covered some serious, uh, some serious ground in the last month or so. And so uh, what I want to do is just do a really fast recap. Um, to wake everyone up, because y'all like all look dead and and boring and bored. So, um, and, uh, did you call me rude? Well, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. One, two, three. Okay. And um, so now, uh, so we've gone through uh, a handful of books. So just throw out one word answers to try to get us back to where we're going to be in Judges. One word answers. What is one word that you would use to describe the book of Genesis? beginnings. That took a little longer than I expected it to take. Like, that's the easy one. Wait till we get to Leviticus. Y'all be thinking ahead. All right. Um, Exodus, one word. Deliverance. Leviticus, one word. Rules. What's another word in Leviticus? Laws. What's another word in Leviticus? Sacrifice. Blood. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's lots of those things. Lots and lots of blood. I see Genesis. Numbers. Numbers. One word to describe numbers. Accounting. Does anyone have any better answers? <laughs> it's like accounting. Yeah, it's, it's an account of numbers. Really? There's not another word? Annihilation. Okay. That's, that's a good answer, you two. So, uh, Genesis, Genesis, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Don't hurt Morse's feelings. More laws. God's purpose and plan. Okay. Uh, Joshua. Annihilation. Yeah, we'll go with that. There's a lot of uh, people just being wiped out if God's people are being obedient through this portion of the scripture. So that brings us to Judges. Turn to Judges 21-25. I'm not skipping 20 chapters. That's just where our memory verse happens to land. Each week, uh, or e with each book, we have a particular verse that we try to um, focus on that sort of captures uh, describing the book as a whole. Um, and so in Judges, it's 21-25. We are sharing these same verses with the children. Clint is writing songs for each verse, and they're not annoying children's songs. They're like good, and they help me to memorize these verses. And so um, we're hoping that gets families on the same page where you can have good discussions about what the Word is doing and where we're at. 21.25 says this, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So who, who dies at the beginning? Does anyone know? We'll take a guess. Give them where There you go, Joshua. Nice. As much as in any other book of the Bible, um, the book of Judges is about leadership. So what's interesting here is that the book of Judges is very much about the need for good leadership, but we're not going to talk much about leadership tonight. What we're going to do tonight is sort of look at what God's people did to get to a point in their history where they sat in desperate need of good leadership, like a, a set of circumstances where they made some really poor decisions where God moved in the way that God moves, the people moved in the way that they typically move um, according to the patterns that have been set, and, and they find themselves in a place of need for good leadership. So um, next week will hopefully be a little bit more encouraging than this week, because this week 
look at the dump that they made of, of their life uh, and their walk and their journey with the Lord. Um, this week, we're going to develop the setting that expresses that need for leadership. So the book can really be divided into three parts. If, for those of you who are taking notes, want to kind of do this bird's eye view of Judges, um, uh, chapters 1 through 2 are introductory. Chapters 3 through 16 cover the 12 Judges, and chapters 17 through 21 show the moral decline that typified um, much of the nation at the time. So introduction, then Judges, and then the moral decline that was pretty indicative of the way that they would generally move. Most of our time tonight is going to be spent in the introductory to make us understand why such a need for leadership. So sort of an outline that we're going to look at tonight um, is going to be this. The people respond and God responds. Remember last week, or the last two weeks, God made some decisions that were really significant and the people made some decisions. Um, the people's decisions were affected by the decisions that God made. People chose certain things, but it was because of the certain things that God chose. And here we're kind of continuing in that and looking at um, the people respond and then God responds. And particularly, we're going to look at the people respond to God's blessing with sin. That's the first thing we're going to look at. Um, God blesses, God warns, and the people sin. And in a sense, throw his blessings back in his face. The second thing we're going to look at is that God's people respond to punishment with repentance. So we're going to look at God punishes and people repent. And that's a cycle that you're going to see repeated throughout scripture a lot. So before we dig into the particular text, I want you to know that if not for God's gracious action toward his people and their sin, this would be one of the saddest books in the Bible. Like as we're starting this, I want y'all to know that ahead of time. I want, you, I want that to be something you're trying to mindfully develop as you're looking at this text. Because if not for God while we were still yet sinners um, coming to us, this would be like the saddest book you, you could ever imagine because of the way that the people move and the way that they act. And so um, keep your eye on God's mysterious movements because they are mysterious in this book. We, we think like, for those of you who have this perspective that uh, we have a tendency to not always do right and we sin, but God saves the day. And that's just kind of it. And it's real obvious how he saves the day. It's not real obvious how he saves the day. I mean, he's certainly our savior more than we can understand. There, there's implications there that are huge. But the way that he saves his people and works with his people and judges is kind of mysterious. And if you were the one in that setting, it may not even make perfect sense to you at the time. But we can step back and look at that and say, wow, look at what God used to bring his people to repentance. Look at some of the mysterious movement that he had to, to really bless them and things that certainly wouldn't have looked like blessings uh, at, at the time. So... The people respond to God's blessing with sin. Turn to chapter 2, verse 1. Now, we've got a little map that we're going to kind of follow to dive into this. Rather than just telling the story, I really want to read portions of it. We're going to look at 2-1, then turn back to Deuteronomy for a minute, then we're going to come back to, to uh, stay in Deuteronomy, then we're going to go to Joshua and kind of make our way back. So we're going to look at 2-1, then we're going to go back to Deuteronomy move through it a little, move through Joshua a little, and then come back to Judges. So that's a little map that we're going to have. In 2.1, it says this. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bacham, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. In what ways, up until this point, the story that this is our story, the story of the people, and what we've seen, in what ways has God fulfilled that? In what ways has God blessed Israel up to this point? What are some blessings they've received that have been something for us to really marvel at? Yep. Yep. Yeah, brought them into the land, um, led them with his presence into the temple. What, what else? In the temple. What else? Other blessings that Israel's received. Yeah. Yeah. Food from heaven. All the way up until the point that they ate the produce of the, of the promised land. And then the next morning there was no more manna. I mean, such perfect provision. What else? Blessings upon Israel as they traveled. Or you can go further back than that if you'd like. 
Yeah, their clothes and shoes didn't wear out for 40 years. That's kind of remarkable. Some of, them, some of them died, but their shoes lasted. Do what? Yes, protection of his people throughout the Passover. What a blessing that they had the blood of the lamb to cover their sins, and the winged destroyer did not annihilate them and wipe them out. What else? Yeah, the covenant of Abraham that, you know, I'm going to make, I'm going to make you into a numerous people and sand and stars. What else? Blessings. Yeah, the presence of God being with them, kind of covering their rear and leading their front um, as they moved. What else? He gave them a leader. Yeah, in Moses. I mean, and there was some significant development of that leader to get to the point where he could lead them well through, through difficult seasons. What else? The law. Yeah, the law was absolutely a blessing if you obey it. What else? Yeah, 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 victory in battle. They're not like, they're not a bunch of trained warriors, but they whooped up, I mean, absolutely destroyed tons of trained warriors. They would go from place to place and they would wipe them out. Everyone was killed. Some of them were burned after they were killed. I mean, we're talking just destruction because God was with them as they battled. And so, um, yeah, there was a, a significant blessing upon them as they went to fight because God told them, go do this. You do this thing, and I will bless you as you do it. And so we learned last week that to that degree, there was a blessing and that he was fighting for them as they fought. So um, that's a number of blessings. Um, in their walk with God, what responsibilities did Israel have to obey? Lots of blessings, but also responsibility. What, what are some? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Ten Commandments, law, sacrifices. What are some of the details in that where, that they would have to obey? And, and how were they called to obey? Yeah. Yeah, you don't wing it. Yeah, the exact manner in which he prescribes, that is how you do it. You don't wing it. You don't just figure it out as you go along. You pay careful attention to the word. Don't swerve to the left. Don't swerve to the right. And you make sure you obey the entire law with as much completeness as you can possibly um, do. And so um, they had a lot of responsibilities that went with these blessings um, that they received from the Lord. Now, this is not a new concept in Judges, that they had responsibilities and that there were things that God would line out. So turn back to Deuteronomy 7. And real quickly, we're going to kind of move through Deuteronomy 7. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Just to kind of regain our bearings a little bit on the kind of movement God expects from his people and, and what, what he is doing as he blesses them and as they are supposed to walk in, in worshipful response to his leadership. And in 7, 1 through 6, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of and clears away many nations before you. I mean, we got to read how he cleared them away, but this was before they even got there. And clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Seven nations more numerous and mightier than yourselves. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. And that's an indication, as you can read in your subtext there in the bottom, that, that that's part of an offering to the Lord, their complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them. That's a really important part of what they were supposed to do and the responsibility that they have. No covenants with the foreign people that you engage you destroy them completely is what the um, command was from the Lord. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire for you are a people holy to the lord your god 
The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, God is, is, is instructing them and requiring of them to deal very, 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 very strongly with the Canaanites. So to, to, we talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to make sure we're on the same part because you might read that and say, whoa, I mean, God's wiping people out, the, the women and the children included with the men. You're, gonna, you're not just going to conquer them. You're going to kill them. You, you have to kill them, destroy them completely. And that could look odd. Like I thought God was loving. How, how, how did he do that? Why would he do that? And so um, what were the Canaanites known for? Just to make sure we understand that. Child sacrifices, cult prostitution. Um, you know, we'll just go with those two. I mean, that indicates what kind of people they are. Cult prostitution and child sacrifices. That, that, that is a wicked, wicked people. And that's why God's dealing with him in the manner that he is. Now, what God says here essentially is destroy or be destroyed. Destroy or be destroyed. If you're writing down your notes, I would write destroy or be destroyed. That's the thing that God is saying over and over to his people as he's leading them to the promised land. If you don't destroy completely the, the, the idols and the, the idol worship and the Asherah poles and the people affiliated with it, you will be destroyed yourself if you don't destroy those things completely. It's pretty significant. Well, why? Why does he say this? We'll turn to Deuteronomy 20, verse 17. Really, 17a and then into 18, but we'll just read both. Why, why would God tell them, destroy or be destroyed? And it says this. And the Lord said to me, they're right in what they've spoken. He says this, I will raise up for you. I'm sorry. Just because I have it underlined doesn't mean I'm reading it. Uh, Deuteronomy 20, not 17. 2017a through 18, it says, but you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the, and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. And this is why, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, so that you sin against the Lord your God. God is protecting them. He's saying destroy or be destroyed because if you don't destroy them, what's going to happen is you yourself will be destroyed in that they will come to you and they will teach you how to worship their gods and they will sway you. They will convince you that it is worthwhile to step off in to the idolatry that they're a part of and it will be appealing to you. He's not saying, well, you're my people. That won't be appealing to you. He's saying, no, you're my people and that is going to be very appealing to you to just step right off in to the sin and the idolatry and the wickedness that... That's no different. It's, it doesn't set them apart when they take part in those kinds of things. There are people holy unto the Lord. So that's why God gives them such particular direction to destroy or be destroyed. And even Joshua repeats this warning before he dies. Turn to Joshua 23. There's a reason that I'm reading these things and they sound repetitive is because God and his breathed that word has said, let's let it be repetitive. So it's okay for us to sit here for a few minutes and hear the repetition of do not give in to the worldliness of the people of the time. That's, that's the message being said here over and over again. Don't step off into the same sin um, that they are a part of because you're to be different. Joshua says this in 23, um, we'll start in verse six. Therefore, this is what his charge to, to Israel's leaders before he dies. He says, therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it, neither to the right nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but, or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God. Clinging. Think about what clinging looks like. You shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you the great and strong nations. As for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Think about that verse for a minute. It's not just love the Lord your God. Be very careful, therefore, 
to love the Lord your God. Because of what you are up against while you're in the world, because of the appeal of sin and the appeal of idolatry that will hit you as you're moving toward the promised land, be very careful to love the Lord your God. That tells me it's not gonna be easy sometimes. I mean, is that fair to say? If I have to be very careful to do it, it may not come easy some days. There may be some days where I need to stop down, shut everything off and say, okay, I need to be careful to love the Lord my God because what's at stake here is salvation. What's at stake here is eternity. What's at stake here is rightly or wrongly representing or misrepresenting God. Be very careful, pay close attention to love the Lord your God for if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations, even though they've been decimated, if you leave a remnant, you will be tempted to turn back even to the remnant. Like there's an idol on the floor that didn't get burned up and destroyed. You're going to be tempted to pick that up and serve it. That's the kind of significance we're talking about here. If you turn um, 23, um, we're starting Joshua 23, 6 through 13. And then it goes on in verse 12. If you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain. This isn't a light warning. God is saying, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but there'll be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides, a thorn in your, thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. It's good ground. You don't want your, your unbelief and your faithlessness to, to, to make that good ground to, into thorns in your eyes. I mean, I think when we read things like that, we're supposed to think for a moment, how bad would that hurt? How much pain would that bring? I mean, that would bring more blindness. It'd be blindness that leads you to thorns in your eyes, which would be more blindness. And so um, there's a very significant, um, serious, dedicated expectation that God has of his people. good land. That's a good point. The, the snare and the trap, I mean, I don't, I don't know if anyone's ever used snares, but they're meant to, to hinder and to hurt. That's what they do. So if you step off into these things, you're in for hurt. It's going to hinder you. And, and the ultimate purpose of those things is usually to kill whatever it snares. And so hinder, hurt, and death are the direction you're going when you step off into those things. And God is good, good to give us such a, a stern warning um, throughout generations. I mean, this is a warning for us today, and we're talking about things that happened thousands of years ago. So um, look, at, look at Judges 1, 19. Verse 19 of Judges is a, in the middle of the verse, is, the, is a turning point that is horribly sad. And so 119a is where we're going to stick for now, and then we're going to look at the sad shift 
over in verse 27. So we're going to read 19a, and then I'm going to jump over to 27 so we can see what happens and how God's people move. So God's been very good to them. He has warned them. He has delivered them. He has fought for them. They have not worshipped foreign gods. They have done what he has said. There were a few hiccups along the way with Ai and with the Gibeonites, but ultimately they, they conform to his will, and they're moving forward. And look what happens here. It says in one nine, this is good. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. That's good. But at that point, from that point after, things change and go bad. But he could not drive out the inhabitants. And look what happens over in 2 um, in, uh, verses 27 and 127. And I'm going to read through verse 36. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshan and its villages. And then look at 28. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely like the Lord had commanded them. So we're strong enough to hold on to them. We're going to put them into forced labor, labor the way that we were put into forced labor when we were in Egypt. But they're not doing what the Lord said. What we're seeing here is a deviation from the Lord's commands. And look at verse 29. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalal. So the Canaanites lived among them, but became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or Alab or of Akzib or Helba or Afnik or of Rahab. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beshemesh and the inhabitants of Bethanoth. So they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beshemesh and Bethanoth became subject to forced labor for them. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Harris and Ajalon and in Shalbim. But the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them, and they became subject to forced labor. And the border of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akrabim from Selah and upward. So uh, what we're seeing here is sloppy. I mean, that's what God's people are doing right now. They're not destroying who they're supposed to destroy. They're not moving in the thorough nature that God has told them to move, but rather they're becoming lenient. They're becoming less motivated to do what God has said. And now... There's a lot of intermingling between them and these other cultures that are steeped in idolatry and godlessness. So how has Israel sinned and what are the consequences? Just to recap what we just said, how did they sin and what are the consequences? Yeah, disobeying. What else? Sin and consequences that we just saw there. Yeah. Yeah, the consequences, the sin is not taking full possession of the land, and the consequence is not taking full possession of the land. So what we're seeing here is, is that because God promises not to break his covenant, he forbids the people to make covenants of their own. Y'all hear that? Because God promises not to break his covenant, he forbids the people to make other covenants of their own. He doesn't just want part of their lives. He doesn't just want um, uh, partial dedication and, and partial... Um, I don't even know if the, there's words that I'm thinking, but they don't go with partial. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he wants complete devotion, not partial devotion. So God, again, this is what we're seeing again. We've seen it before in Scripture. God, again, has blessed his people, and his people respond by sinning. In Joshua, what we saw was many sins of omission. Y'all remember? In Joshua, there was a whole lot of things that they didn't do that they should have been doing, and there were sins of omission. It wasn't things that they were necessarily committing, but it was things they weren't doing that they were supposed to be doing. And what always happens with sins of omission when they're not repented of, what always happens is what we see Israel doing, and they fall headlong into sins of commission. You, you, you start with, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and that quickly moves, maybe not quickly, but certainly moves into, if you don't repent of those things that you're omitting, that'll move into sins of commission, where, okay, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and now I'm doing what I'm not supposed to be doing, according to God's design. So, turn to Judges 3 
five through six. Slight omissions lead to completely forsaking God. In Judges 3, 5 through 6, it says this. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. What God has said previously in Deuteronomy, again in Joshua, what God has said, don't do that because you're going to end up serving their gods, is what they did. They stepped off into it because of unbelief. So, that's one of the saddest verses in the book, what, what they did there, giving their daughters in marriage. Judges 3, verses 5 through 6. So we're going to make a shift here. We're, if, if the study, the emotion of the study is doing this, we're like right here, right now. Things stink for Israel. So I want to make a little shift right now. And I want to consider for a moment our culture. Not that that's going to be uplifting particularly. But we're created in God's image. That's a good thing. That's a blessing that we're created in God's image. Now, again and again, we see how we can mess that up. But because we're created in God's image, positive. What are some positive things that we as a people can accomplish? Because we're created in God's image, what are the positive things that we can accomplish for God? We can display his glory. What are some ways we do that? Walking in faith. Yeah, not losing sight of his work and glorifying him for it. What are some other good things we can do because we're image bearers? Worship. Let's go specific, real specific. What are some specific things that could not be accomplished if we weren't image bearers? Walking in love. Yeah, I don't have the capacity to love outside of God giving that to me. That's because I'm made in his image that I can do that. Displaying grace, Yeah. What else? Yep. Offer forgiveness. What else? What? Yep. What else? And obedience. What about creativity? Let's, let's get a little artsy here. What are some things that can happen creatively because we're made in the image of God? Singing. Music. That, that wouldn't exist if not for God saying, okay, music's going to be a good thing. It's going to capture emotions in a way that can't be captured just by spoken word. When my people praise me, I, I want them to sing, not just to speak, not just to offer sacrifices of animals anymore. It's significant, and it's, it's a creative thing because we are made in the image of the most creative God, the only true God who is creative infinitely. What are some other things? Yeah? Yeah. The call he's placed on our life, great commission. We wouldn't have that if we, and we could not even remotely obey that if we weren't made in the image of God. Think, or else, think also about um, the wonder of creativity, painting, um, seeing beauty in things that we wouldn't see otherwise if we weren't made in his image. He says, look at the birds and consider the lilies. Because it's crazy remarkable that he made birds and lilies. Like that should just floor us, but it doesn't. We become distracted by other things. But you look at a lily and you look at the beautiful white that it's clothed in and you're like, wow, he says he takes better care of me than that. You look at the birds who are generally carefree. I haven't met a lot of anxious, um, frustrated birds. And, and he says, I, I care for them, but I care for you even more. Look at the birds, consider the lilies. Um, so there's so many things in, 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 in creation that spur forth our creativity as well. Think about just innovative thinking. I mean, we have little devices that can do like everything. I mean, not everything, but most things. I mean, it's crazy and we all have them. We all carry them around because some crazy smart people in a room made them. I didn't even know I needed it until they showed it to me. I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta have that. That's good. You're smart. So, so there's so many things that we can do that are good things. We can create, um, we, we can go to villages and, and provide fresh water because of, you know, being able to do the piping and the plumbing and, and get all that done. We can figure out how to get food to people who need food. We can um, broadcast messages that need to be broadcast. We can set up, like even here, like when someone has a baby, 
they like automatically have meals delivered to them for a long time. That's remarkable. That's so cool. Or diapers, which is even more remarkable. There is a time in parenting where you want diapers more than you want food. They're more valuable. They're like a resource that you can trade them, you can sell them. It's amazing. Um, so um, there's a lot of really good things that we can do because we're created in the image of God. There's a lot of good things that can be accomplished. But what we got to see with that is that with all the positive possibilities, I want to read a, a really sober warning that Dever um, writes in his, his survey. He says this, we seethe, seethe, it's a good word, with darker possibilities. We seethe with darker possibilities. And our creativity can be harnessed for wrong ends. Not only can we create good, we can also create evil. And we want to. We have become what the Bible calls sinful. So I want to transition from that thought process that we can do what they did, and you have the ability to go in and, and move forward in the name of God and make planet Earth a better place and go to the promised land and enjoy presence with God and with his people, yet they take the abilities that they have being made in his image and they misrepresent his image and they bow down to idols, which are opposite of the image of God. They, they trade truth for, some, for a perversity. They trade truth for something that's just fleshly. They trade what's eternal for what's temporal. Um, the wrath of God swords unrighteousness because it suppresses the truth. They're suppressing truth in their movement. And we have that ability in ourselves. So there's these thought processes that go with this. And I want to I move to the actions that follow. There's a result that is worldly and temporal perspective that can set in. If we lose sight of our eternal God and how he has called us to move and what he's moving us toward, like do we all make the connection that our promised land is heaven, eternity with God? So we're moving toward eternity. This is all temporal. And so the result of misusing the creativity and the image-bearing beauty that, that we have as, as children is that we can have these really temporal, worldly perspectives that lose sight of the eternal perspective that we're supposed to have. So what are some ways that we try to turn this world into some sort of paradise? What are some ways we can try to turn this world into some sort of paradise? Did y'all both say the exact same? Yeah, buy lots of things. Sure. Buy lots of things. We can shop from those fancy devices that they gave us. We don't even have to go places. I want that. Buy. It's easy. Buy lots of things. What are some other ways we try to make this world into some sort of paradise? Yeah, yeah. Lots of comfort around ourselves to make sure this is nothing can impede upon this, this home that I have. And we begin to forget that it can be temporal, that it is, not can be, it is temporal. I'm not saying don't lock your doors at night and things like that. Lock your doors, turn your security system on, get a dog. What else? Wow. We elevate leisure. We live between the weekends, and all we do is get through the week to wait for the weekend to get here. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. It's a pretty common phrase. Yeah. 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 Has anyone experienced that Christianity is not easy? Anybody? Okay. Three. That's good. Um, <laughs> Yeah, walking by sight versus walking by faith. Yeah. It's yeah. What they did, I think, is they, is they were trying to conquer. Mm-hmm. They're not conquering because their, their eyes are like Yeah. Sword, annihilating. Con- oh, that looks cool. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what's happening there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what they want. Yeah. Yeah, they were made of wood, but they were there. And so, um, <laughs> this is... There's so many different um, things that can take our attention. I mean, we can try to accomplish this being some sort of paradise with government. Has that ever worked? Um, prosperity, medical advances, technological advances, etc. 
The Israelites believed, this is what they believed, and this is what I want us to key in on here as we kind of come sort of to the end of our time. The Israelites believed that there was joy and success in what the people of the land had to offer. The Israelites believed that there was joy and success in what the people of the land had to offer. So just in your minds, I don't want us to discuss it because we could discuss it for a long time, but what do the people of our land have to offer us today? They could be appealing. I mean, tons and tons and tons of things. We, we flew somewhere this week, and there's a Sky Mall magazine. I could have spent $5,000 from the airplane. There's so many cool things I've never even thought of, where I'm like, look at that. I got to have that. There was this big mug. There was a coffee mug that had a mouth on it where you put cookies. <laughs> How have I never thought of that? But I mean, there's, there's tons, of, tons of opportunities. So... The people, that's what the people of the land distracted me with this week. It may be different for you, but this was a cup with a spot for my cookies. Um, so uh, the people of the land have lots to offer today, and we have to watch that. Dever notes. Um, yeah. 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 It sounds a lot like um, Joseph's brothers saying, well, if we kill him, there's nothing out. We don't get anything out of it. But if we sell him, at least I get a little bank in the deal. So, yeah, it, it's wicked. So, God's gifts to us in creation and in our consciences, as great as they are, do not provide the redemption we need from our sin. We can't accomplish it on our own. As, as image-bearing as we are, our self-deceit or the promise of a judgment, we require a greater blessing still we need the blessing that this world in its typical fashion has rejected and even crucified. We need Christ. It's not a matter of just be good boys and girls and don't, don't look the wrong direction when you should have been looking straight. Yeah, yeah, be obedient, be, be disciplined, be accountable. Those are all important things, but, but you need Jesus. We don't have just a moral gospel. Don't, don't, be an, don't be an idol worshiper. Sure, don't be an idol worshiper, but the way you do this, you worship Jesus. There's no, there's no way around that. If we take Jesus out of this equation, all we're ended up with is some moral message that will fail. I mean, there's no way to preach a moral message and expect that it's going to make everyone moral. We should be moral, but that's not going to happen if, if we don't have Christ. It takes one who has accomplished for us what we cannot accomplish on our own. Distractions from the blessings that we share in Christ are many. It's really easy to lose sight of the eternal because of all the temporary things that scream for our attention. So I'm giving you some homework. I want you to spend some time with your spouses, families, friends, whatever, whoever you hang with and talk about spiritual matters with. And if you don't have that, you need to have that. But I, I want to encourage y'all to take some time to talk with them about the very real, tangible, daily, eternal blessings that we share in Christ that we can be distracted from. I mean, so easily. I mean, I could teach this lesson and go get distracted by worldly stuff in like two seconds. It's not hard. So spend some time talking about those tangible, daily, eternal blessings we have. Because what happened with Israel was they threw God's blessings back in his face. They threw the blessings right back in God's face. And look what God does. When Israel did this, he punishes them. Look at Judges 2, 14 through 15. When Israel did this, God punished them. And what's interesting is that he acts against their sin for the sake of his name. Look at 2, 14 through 15. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. <laughs> I mean, that's what they've been doing. But they didn't obey, so he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. Do y'all hear that? Look at the change in that relationship. The hand of the Lord was against them for harm? As the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. That's where our sin leads us, terrible distress. I've been there. I don't know if anyone else has been there. I'm assuming we all have, where we find ourselves steeped in our sin, and the result is terrible distress. Terrible distress, not light distress, terrible distress. You think, how in the world did I get to this place? And it's all about taking your eyes off of Jesus and looking at just worldly stuff, getting, in, getting totally wrapped up 
and what the people of the land have to offer. And then we throw God's blessings back in his face. I don't want you to miss what's happening here. What happened in these verses that I just read? God appears to join with his people's enemies in order to bring distress upon them. Think about that for a minute. God joined with his people's enemies in order to bring stress back upon them. Yet his motives are completely different. They just want to kill Israel. He wants to heal Israel. They just want to force Israel into submitting to him. He wants to bring them to repentance. God's ultimate goal in this is to drive his people to repentance. Look over at Judges 10, 6 through 9. The people of Israel again did what was evil on the side of the Lord and served the Baals of the Ashtoreth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. There we see it again, distress, severe distress because of their sin. This is how God uses the Ammonites and the Midianites and the Canaanites and the Moabites and the Aramaeans. God employs the actions of Israel's enemies for his own ends. When we think God can use everything for the good of his people, we think, oh, even though the situation stinks and it's undesirable, God can, can use it for kingdom good. And you would be right in that. That's good. But sometimes what he'll also do is that if you're being stubborn and you are setting yourself against him, he will use your enemies to be forced and fight against you and present hardships for you so that you will see, I have made a train wreck of this and I desperately need to repent and come back to the Lord. That's what he does. He can use even your enemies. Think about the most distressing situations you have. Some of us may need to say, is there a sin in my life that I need to be repenting of here? Is this pulling out things that I'm, our view of ourselves is not accurate? We need other people and we need a God who has us in community and in these circumstances with eyes open to be able to understand who we are and what we're about and what we need to repent of. I can't give my accountability partners a list of these are the things I need to repent of. Y'all pray for me. Good accountability partners will say, whoa, 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 this list is a little short. Let's talk through some things. So God employs the actions of Israel's enemies for his own ends. It is not abnormal for us to pray that the Lord would deliver us from our enemies. But let's consider there may be times we need to pray and say, God, did you set them against me? Do you have a purpose in this? Are things not going well because I'm in sin that I'm just not repentant of? He is not indifferent toward your sin. We must repent and return to Christ and move in obedience as he said. And look what happens in the next few verses. Ten, um, we're still in chapter 10. Look at verse 10 in chapter 10. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, we've sinned against you. It took severe distress and 18 years of slavery more. Finally, they cry out, we've sinned against you, saying, because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, did I not save you from the Egyptians? and from the Amorites, and from the Ammonites, and from the Philistines, the Sidonians also, and the Amalekites, and the Madonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand. God doesn't forget all the things he saved us from. We do. We shouldn't. When we're headlong into our sin, and we've forgotten the beautiful blessings that we have received from God, he doesn't forget that. It's good to remember that because he's sitting there saying, what about these people, and these people, and these people, in this circumstance, and this circumstance? Was I not your God who was good to you? Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry out to the gods whom you've chosen to serve. Let them save you in the time of your distress. I mean, imagine hearing those words from God. Would anything just shake your entire being, frighten your soul more than that? He says this, 
And the people of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us from um, this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. He became impatient over the misery of Israel. What a loving God. I mean, he's incredibly loving. But what I want us to see here is that it's not just forgiveness just lavished with no expectations and indifferent toward the sin. He's just eager to make it right. Look at what he did here. God punishes his people and they repent. So God blessed his people. They threw the blessing back in his face and sinned. God punishes them and they repent. This is a consistent pattern in scripture and in our history as a people. God blesses us. We respond by sinning. He punishes us. We repent. Hopefully this helps us to see the blessing of God's punishment. Even the blessing of undesirable circumstances. The blessing of enemies who set themselves against us knowing that God may be using them to bring us to repentance. Devers notes, people who want a religion that will merely affirm them will find Christianity disappointing because Christianity is about repentance. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time tonight and pray that you would um, use this pretty, pretty direct and hard and heavy warning um, to keep us from giving in to what the people of the land have to offer. Lord, please keep every single one of us from walking away from here with some, just some really light moralistic fare. I pray that you would make it deeper than that, that, that we would see our desperate need for Jesus Christ, um, who, who conquers our sins, who went to the cross, who was our atoning sacrifice, who conquered death, who was raised from the dead, and only in Christ can we, can we ever have any, any life and any, any life in you. Lord, help us to see that for what it is. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Strengthen us when we're not faithful. Open our eyes when we're being blinded by our own foolishness. I pray that in this room, if people are persevering in just foolishness or worldliness or whatever, I pray that you would bring people around them to help them to see what they can't see and to help them to feel the weight that they can't feel. There's, we, we learned a few weeks ago that there's honor and rebuke because it helps us to, it presses upon us so that we can see what we would otherwise not be able to see if we were just left to our own devices. Lord, you are good for giving us Christ. You are good for meeting us in our sin. You are good for giving us a community to walk in so that we don't have to be labeled and known by our unbelief and our sin, but rather by repenting from that sin and persevering Christ wholeheartedly, completely. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.